Welcome back once again to our faithful listeners. This is Faithful. The Sound Ideas <laughs> podcast, and this is episode 13. And I've entitled this In the Woods Alone Again, Naturally, with of course Adam Hugavine and Frank Wolf. Alone again, naturally. So we're back, and we're back. um Frank's come back from his harrowing <laughs> trip to the north. He, he went to Nunavut and back, which um, not many people can say in general, never mind um, skiing through the cold for how many days? Did three weeks, so 21 days, 300K um, in uh, kind of between Ellesmere Island and Devon Island, which are the northernmost islands in uh, the uh, kind of the Arctic archipelago up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and then of course he's headed out again this weekend. We're just right at the end of June, about to flip to July. Um, so fortuitously enough, we've been able to connect here in the woods just to just chat. This is going to be a nice, quick, quick catch up just to see what Frank's been up to and and uh, shoot and you too, Adam. There's a big day for you recently. Shoot the breeze. We might just touch on that on too, even if you don't want us FM. to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, first and foremost, let's just get right into it. Um, you went to Nunavut. Um, most of us have not been there. It was moving into late spring, early summer, so it was warmer during the day and quite cold at night, from what I understand. Uh, it's still there. I mean, their spring is kind of what we'd consider deepish winter, except it's 24 hours of daylight. Um and yeah, the I'd say the temperatures, maybe the highest we got was like maybe minus five. It was pretty windy. So for, of the 21 days we're out there, probably 17 of them were quite windy. So it brings it down to the, you know, minus 15 to 18 range a lot of the time during the day when you're traveling. So, but um, yeah, so it was cold and the, the, I guess the highlights would be, um, we, I remember we got, we got run across like 70 kilometers from Ellesmere Island to Devon Island to start to expedite our time there by this guy, uh, Terry Noah. He's a local indigenous, uh, like Inuit guy who, uh, is the, he'll, he'll take people anywhere you want to go. He'll do, take photographers out, hunters out, what have you. But I remember him dropping us off in this broken ice and he kind of goes, uh, he told us the big story about him, um, basically, uh, him and his father were had were hunting seals. He was butchering a seal, and this polar bear came right into the camp, went right for Terry, jumped right on top of him. He didn't have his gun. His dad was hitting the bear in the back of the head with a seal hook, and then Terry ro- rolls over and reaches for the gun, which is lying just a few feet from him, pulls it, and the bear's like right on top of him. Boom, you know, shoots it. So he tells us this story as he drops us off in the br- in the broken ice, and there's like polar bear tracks everywhere. And he goes, so you you guys prepared? You say, oh, we got we got a gun, we got a bear fence, and he said, uh, yeah, well, watch out in this broken ice, you know, you know, keep your eyes and ears open. The bears usually sleep during the day behind these ice piles, so you might wake them up when you ski by. Have a great trip, kind of thing. So that was the start, and boom, he takes off, and we're we're camping. That's there a great ice. <laughs> great start to the trip. You know, exactly. I almost died uh, yeah. hunting, and and now enjoy. <laughs> And right I, in this exact spot, no. <laughs> I saw one of the well, your pics yeah. on Instagram with a paw print in the snow. It was a really great photo with a good caption on Insta. Um, but the paw print was immense. Like, it was the mm-hmm. size of my head. And yeah. I, I have a large head, <laughs> like, on average. 
Yeah. Yeah, like whenever we dropped off, the, there's bear tracks everywhere. What the bears are doing, and you can see it, even even as we went across, I mean, Terry is so in tune with the land. His the We started off in this town called Grease Fjord, which is the northernmost community in all of Canada. Um, Pig, all, Pig Fjord. Pig Fjord, exactly, which is now... Uh, been renamed by the Inuit uh, into Ayuatuk because that was named by a uh, a, uh, a Finn or a Norwegian. It was uh, Sverdrup was the guy's name, and he was a Norwegian explorer. And he he heard a whole bunch of walrus uh, walruses like um, making a bunch of noise, and he thought they sounded like pigs. And so he called this fjord Pig Fjord, Grease Fjord. Um, but now, since and at the time there was no one living there. Um, Grease Fjord, the town was created in the in the uh, in the fifties by the government when they wanted to. They basically tricked a bunch of Inuit from Nunavik to say, "Hey, we've got this better place for you. You can be more like Inuit, and and it's it's all your own land, and you'll be free to do what you want." And so they said, "Great!" And they, so they take them from Quebec all the way up to this barren land of rock and ice, where it's dark for twenty four hours a day, half the year. And here you go, survive. They thought they could just do it. And so <clears throat> that was kind of like an unfortunate start to it. And over the years, they've managed to survive. Lots of them suffered hardships along the way. But Terry's dad was one of these original kind of guys who was brought in to actually train the Nunavik people how to hunt in that area. And he also taught Terry how to hunt. So Terry's like a master hunter. And as we we're going across, he suddenly stops the snowmobile, runs back 50 feet, jumps in the air and boom breaks open this this den it's a seal den he just noticed it by the way there's a depression in the snow and sure enough um, it's a big hollow there's a fish there so the seal must must have just gone away and he would usually have like a a hand harpoon or something to get it because they'll they'll eat the seals and also they'll feed their dogs with them but that's exactly what the polar bears are doing so all these tracks we saw with the polar bears going through they were basically you see the tracks you see this big hole where they've dug into the den so they can smell the seal right through the snow. They'll dig it out, get themselves a seal, and move on to the next den. So they'll kind of just track den to den to den. So we're just kind of in this whole area of, of polar bears investigating dens along the way. But we didn't see any in the initial part of it. We saw one bear came right up in our camp um, probably towards the end of week two. Um, when we kind of didn't, didn't expect, we thought, oh, we're not going to see a bear. You know, we'd seen tracks everywhere, never, never had a bear come on us. But, um, we were in this big area of glare ice and we were all in the tent, uh, had just finished dinner. We were just coming out of the tent to enjoy the evening. And I'm following Dave out the, uh, door, Dave, who I was with and, uh, Johnny and Dave stands up and he goes, holy shit, there's a bear right there. And 50 feet away, there was this big male polar bear had walking towards our camp um, had probably tracked us in. It was coming from the direction we'd skied and um, was curious about our tent. And then once all three of us came out, though, he kind of got a little bit, you know, shy. We had a gun and everything, too. Um, and he kind of just walked sideways and inspected us for about half an hour. And that was kind of cool just to hang out with the bear as it was kind of looking at us. We were looking at it, but not threatening, just kind of curious. And then eventually it wandered away. So that was, uh, yeah, good to see the bear in its own element on the ice kind of right in front of us there like that so uh, rather than it surprising us or jumping out on us or i guess it's ideal to see it at 50 feet and like waking it up when it's hidden behind a, a snow drift mm-hmm. um optimal experience yeah not, not being pinned down not having to use any firearms so exactly uh, yeah. fantastic and how did the team fare um there's three of you which is a good number i think we discussed this in the mm-hmm. last hit mm-hmm. um 
everyone in good spirits and everyone had a pretty good yeah. smooth, smooth trip. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's interesting in traveling up to, it takes longer to get to Greece Fjord than it would anywhere else in the world from Canada. Like, it, um, if I wanted to go to, you know, you know, Sydney, it would be way less time or even a remote town in Australia would be less time. So basically, because there's, there's, uh, as you go farther north, there's only sometimes one or two flights into these towns per per week, um, and we we got to this one town called Resolute, which is kind of your your jumping off point to the High Arctic or to Greasefjord, and um, and Resolute um, there's something called Resolute Roulette, which basically means your luggage might arrive with you or it might not. It's kind of a fifty fifty, and sure enough, Johnny and I were ahead of Dave by a couple of days just by our aeroplane you know, dirt bag flight scheduling. We did everything on the cheap. Aeroplan points, which is Air Canada points, gets us up there. And then we get there, and on the on the way in, I kind of was kind of getting the lay of the land. Like, we weren't going to... Like, it, it costs to stay in the local hotel in Resolute is $425 a night per person. So it's like, you know, it's like the Hotel Vancouver penthouse suite, except you're just in a... In basically a, bun- a, bu- a bunkhouse. If you're lucky, yeah. <laughs> well, I was killing yeah. myself, Frank, because I saw your note on Instagram, and I don't know, we'd been in touch about you <clears throat> missing gear. Mm-hmm. And in our last conversation, <clears throat> I was like, you know, what about the gear, the stuff? Yeah. What do you pack? And I even said in our conversation, mm-hmm. you know, if you're missing a piece, if you're missing a piece of gear in these instances, it can be a total showstopper. And I'd, I'd said that in our last conversation, and I was like, ooh. I, I jinxed this. Like, I do not want to hear this. I kind of had floated that, and I was like, <laughs> and I was very happy that you got it in three to five days. Yeah, we 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 luckily we we knew we were waiting in Resolute for for three or four days, anyways, until we can get our flight. And Dave came two days after us, so Johnny and I for two days we didn't have the one. We, our skis came just fine to Resolute, but then we didn't have our our sleeping bags, our tent. So we pet, planted just tent outside the airport. And luckily, I made friends with the the local uh, manager of the Ken Boric Airlines, which is a little airline that takes you up to Greasefjord. And he said, uh, well, don't tell anyone I, didn't, I said this to you, but uh, the airport's open 24-7. So there's a bathroom in there. There's running water. There's warm. They said, said, oh, you guys, you guys can probably... You could probably sleep in here, and only he kind of points us in the direction of this restricted cargo baggage area. It's a tiny airport. Imagine it's like, and so, anyways. But no one, no one does this because you're not supposed to stay in there. But we just did, and we just kind of people just got used to us, like the the, the local Inuit guys who are working for Canadian North and the manager of the hotel, and we got to got to have a rapport with these guys, and they just accepted we were living in the airport for a couple of days. And then Dave came in, and he lived in the airport, so we ended up staying. You know, I, I saw you for were four like, days. And what I yeah. could tell was an office. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Ken Bork office. At one point, Johnny was sleeping under the desk because I was warmer in there. The first night, there's the cargo air is like colder. It was like minus twenty out, and, and so and we didn't have like Dave. Dave uh, Johnny was sleeping inside just his duffel bag. That's all he had. And then um, I luckily had a big puff jacket I'd packed, and then I had my other jacket on my legs. And the guy from Ken Bork lent me a thermarest. And then, uh, yeah, so Johnny was colder than I was, and the next day we went to the, the more heated room, which is the Ken Bork offices, which had also 24-7 coffee. His deal was just as long as you keep the coffee going, you guys can stay here. So I had coffee. That's your tea. job. 
It had a you know a, a hot water kettle. We can make our freeze dried food. So pretty easy living. The staffer kind yeah, of stoked because exactly. they come in and you guys <laughs> yeah. like, would you like a coffee, sir? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, but so that was the start of it, and then we got into the the journey and. Uh, yeah, it was it was a, a good adventure across the sea ice. We went along the edge of the Polinia, which we'd wanted to, which is open water area. It was actually a longer, colder May this year than previous years, so the the ice shelf was further out, which made for actually pretty good travel. Um, and then we went up over this Devon ice cap for about 130K or so, which is this 800-meter uh, deep ice cap over Devon Island. And uh, we did have one incident there where uh, one thing about Arctic uh, glaciers is they're very benign. There's not a lot of crevasses. They're still, they haven't melted out too much. Um, you know, we were measuring around our campsites. They're like, you know, the cracks were like an inch or something. But then as we got towards a roll one day, I was right behind Johnny and, and he suddenly whoo, disappeared in front of me. And we weren't roped up. We Seven days, there was no sign of anything. It was clear, you know, clear white sheet of snow all the way to the entrance to this Sverdrup glacier where we're going to exit but there's a bit of a roll there and he just lined up perfectly with a crevasse and caught himself with his arms but his feet were dangling free below him with his skis on skis on oh yeah and a sled but the crack kind of it angled so his sled was still on top and he was in and so he managed to get his harness off i pulled the sled away dave came in with a rope johnny tied it up around his waist and we yanked him out of there and then uh, he lost like a spotting scope, but it was probably at least 30 feet down. He would have hurt himself had he gone in there at least. And then um, he did get a big bruise in his leg. He kind of damaged one ski binding, but that was about it. So we roped up the next cu- couple hours just to get over the roll. Came out skis on, lost a superfluous piece of equipment yeah, yeah. and didn't die. Exactly. So <laughs> so it was a good, it was kind of like a, and that's the first time in lots of travel where it's been like a crack. It was probably the, and he said, just about a second before I went, he thought, Frank, give me 10 more meters, and Dave, get let's rope up. And he thought that because his spidey senses were tingling, but he then he went in. It was like this kind of, he sensed it. Something was going on, even though it seemed like so normal and benign. He was like, boom, he was so in the there. lesson learned here is <clears throat> yeah. rope up, kids. Not all the time, though. I think, I think you're approaching any kind of roll rope up. I mean, generally the glaciers are, it's really annoying to be roped up all day long um, if you're skiing and you're kind of been, being push and pull and that sort of thing. And you don't have to, but generally if you're entering either a, a roll into a glacier or coming up uh, like the toe of the glacier, that's where the cracks are going to be. And so we were just getting just way too lazy. Like we, we came into the Belcher Glacier down and up and it was no problem, but then just, you know, wrong place, wrong, wrong time, but it worked out okay, yeah. So everything's fine. Everything's fine, yeah. Um, and just before we get into the glacier, actually, in terms of a, another animal story, is that we were skiing along, we see these kind of brown kind of blobs on the ice, and then as we get closer, it's three walrus. And they let us get within 10 feet of them. Big tusks, you know, these 2,000-pound animals, just kind of, and we hung out there for like 20 minutes with these walruses who had just come out of this ice hole. Um, and there's one younger one, and the two older ones that kind of told it, go into the and kind of slid away into this ice hole and kept trying to cup, pop its head back up it was quite cute and uh, we just kind of hung out taking photographs and and filming this these kind of amazing 
you know, Jabba the Hutt-like animals there on the ice. So that was another cool uh, close-up animal encounter we didn't expect there. So, so mm-hmm. has anything gone to press yet? Have you written or published? Or is this going to come out in the fall? Or? Um, it's going to come out in the yeah, the fall issue of um, Explore. So I've, I've written, I've, I've had to write the, I've already written my my draft and compiled a bunch of images. And I th- so maybe it's on Indescri- if people want to see the polar bear we saw and see the, the walrus. Um, Get it on the ground. Yeah, at Frank Wolf 70. Check it out. There's a bunch of pictures up from the trip, and then there'll be a feature article and probably later in the fall, like a like a photo essay for Arcteryx as well. Oh, great. He gives cool. a bunch of swag. Yep. So, nice. Um, yeah, a couple things will come out of it soon, but uh, yeah, that, that'll come out all out in the fall. Yeah. Now, would you seek out more Arctic adventures? Is that sub-Arctic or is that pure Arctic? That's high Arctic. That's, that's high Arctic. That's, okay. that's the deep Arctic. That's as there. far that's, north as you're going to That's get where there's like just pretty much just rock and ice in the summertime. There's very little vegetation, just very stunted, probably lichen, maybe some super tiny dwarf birch and willows. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's, that's the reality. Basically, Grease Fjord or Ayuatuk, where we started from, that's the northernmost community in Canada. So, um, and it's on Ellesmere Island, which is the northernmost island in Canada. That's, yeah. that's where people used to step off when you could. The north end of that would go to the North Pole. So you're creeping into to, uh, disputed territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never been that no- far north. The furthest north I've been in, in Canada is just northern Ontario, you know, creeping up on Dryden. And then, um, you know, up to the Yukon, which was cool, but I went in the summer and yeah. there's, there's no, uh, yeah, the Yukon's Ar- still bo- boreal forest. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. just, it was, it was hearkening. It was, it wasn't far from a BC landscape in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, um, I think culture wise, it's like, even though they move, people have been probably for, for thousands of years, they've traveled through the area and lived nomadically in that area, so, but it's never been an established community until, Greasefield was put in there, but we did on on one place we stopped at a place called uh, Cape Hardy. We found the old, um, basically remains of these Dorset uh, dwellings, which is basically a prehistoric Inuit peoples, probably from like a thousand to two thousand years wow. ago. Um, kind of very distinct oval depressions with like neatly stacked stones along the edge, and they would have probably had like a, a whalebone with skin over top of that, and they were kind of perched on this shore edge where they could have seen out to the water to get in and out and also to hunt whales and, and all that sort of thing um, back in the day. So that was kind of a, a we kind of stumbled upon this kind of uh, probably five of these. That's incredible. These doors I mean, to, to there. just be able yeah. to stumble upon that kind of archaeology mm-hmm. just there and it's unmoved and, and, and maybe everlasting. Yeah. One thing, the Arctic, nothing, things last a long time. There's very little bacteria. Things don't break down. It's a very you know, a benign environment as far as, you know, things breaking down. So things last forever. They're almost like preserved by that cold, kind of very clean, you know, stark, um, cold environment for sure. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yourself, when, when I think just recently something happened in your life, a big number, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a birthday. <laughs> I'm a Gemini. I yeah. am born in June and we had a celebration. Yeah. The big four O. Yeah. 
I am now <laughs> kind of old, but um, no, we had fun and uh, still no gray though. Still, I'm doing dark, well. I still have dark some hair, hair, dark beard, you know, and yeah, uh, can yeah. hold my own. But uh, yeah. life has been incredibly busy for me personally. Work's been cranking. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of evolution, you know, change with what I'm doing in my role, and then we're doing systems implementation. So work's been busy and lots of learning, but uh, you know, more importantly, baby watch, you know, hanging That's out right. with my partner and my now, now you've got daughter. Groove. Now what we talked last time, you just had just gotten into it, kind of. We're thing, getting right? into a yeah. groove, and I think we. Well, I have next week off, so it's the holiday. It's Canada Day on Friday, and um, we're just gonna go somewhere to a quiet place and unplug. And I'll hang out with my daughter and my partner, and it's gonna be good. And I need a rest because it just right now. I mean, as most parents notice, is, is the, the time that you had all the free time to all oh, do whatever I want or plan trips or go for <laughs> hikes or whatever that, that kind of evaporates a bit, but, um, that'll change in due time. But, um, yeah, we're excited to take some time off and, uh, just relax and, you know, do what, do what the people do. I'll read a book and drink my coffee <laughs> and watch the world go by for a little bit. That's it. Easy into it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah. So I, rode my bike home from work today and it just kind of struck me that i hadn't even like ridden a bike really in two or three weeks for this time of year for me that's very odd yeah and i'm just like man and and i'd still ride to work but the time it's an hour one way and there's just additional kind of lag on the the end and i just need to be here there's a big climb on the way out of here too there's a climb you know like you know vancouver's hilly so i'm climbing and it's not that I wouldn't ride. It's just that, you know, dedicating an extra one and a half hours to my commute, I just don't have that time right now. Yeah. So, um, but it's all good. And again, it'll, it'll change in due time. And this this is where you put in the work and just make sure that everyone's healthy. And- You're going to get an e-bike? No, man. <laughs> There's places I don't even go. Like, now that'll be, you know, we, we, we might go e-bike um, if you know, it's an alternative to a vehicle and I'm doing, you know, big grocery hauls or lugging child maybe, but I, I want to avoid the e-bike yeah. because I think that it's kind of lame. <laughs> there I said it, but I spoke to a, a, an esteemed colleague at work today who was talking about the praises of his e-bike. And, it, you know, if you're, you're towing a child or if it's an alternative to a vehicle, yeah. I think that it's amazing. Or also if you're, if you need a little bit, if you want to increase your range or if you want to, you know, leg up in terms of where you want to explore, then I'd say go for it. And I think that I, I really embrace any a technology that allows people to travel or enjoy the outdoors without having to get on a, you know, gas powered motorcycle or into a vehicle to access a trailhead. Yeah. Um, you know, good on you. So I don't really judge those with e-bikes. I'm just not there yet. It's not that guy. Maybe yeah. when I'm 80, <laughs> you know, um, or, or if there's just a good use case for it. But I think that, uh, I don't know. Yeah, one of our former guests, Grant, he, uh, they, him and his wife uh, and their two kids, they have a, a long, like a long haul e-bike so they can put the whole family on there. Todd McPhee. And go and get groceries and stuff like that. In Calgary, yeah. I, I had an <laughs> evening with uh, one of your former colleagues, Todd McPhee, yep. and he pulled up with his e-bike. That shout he out to Todd his, McPhee. Yeah, shout out to Todd. <laughs> and he's like, get on. We're going to go for dinner. And, We're uh, going for dinner yeah, now. And I, you know, I, I couldn't fit into it because it was sized for a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up <laughs> jumping on, like, they had Lime kind of e-bikes or oh, Lime yeah. bikes yeah. In, in Calgary. So I was able to do that. And we kind of toured around and we had, you know, happy hour into dinner 
and he showed me around and we had amazing conversations from anything from the outdoors to our, our shared friends to communism. And uh, nice. we went deep as Todd and, would go. Yeah. And, and I didn't really know Todd, but I knew of him through my friend group and he just turned it on and we just had a really fun night and it was nice to be hosted by essentially a stranger. How was the link up? Did you, did you just randomly th- th- uh, shout th- that to him Instagram, or did someone else? Yeah. Or I got his number through someone. I think I just reached out via Instagram. I was like, Hey, I'm in Calgary for a week for work. I don't have a lot of plans, you know, maybe we can hook up and, and talk about work stuff or just, just, you know, roll and have yeah, dinner and, just roll and, and have catch fun. up. Yeah. And, uh, he's a family man. So I think he was happy to get out of the house. And, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I was a stranger in Alberta. And so I was happy to have a host, um, so that was fun. Yeah, Armstrong bumped into him in Calgary not too long ago as well. So had, I, yeah, had, I got yeah. only got a couple people in Calgary. So you know, usually when you go to places where you don't know anyone, you're just hanging out in the evening, you know, killing time, going for a bike ride, going for a walk, having dinner. So it's good to network and yeah. hang. Yeah, and speaking of Matt Armstrong, who who is the manager of the Fall, uh, Fjallraven, Fjallraven in. Uh, Vancouver. Uh, that's right. Broadway. Vancouver. Um, Arcteryx, which supports my mountain. They're like a Uh-oh. mountain kind of place there. Uh, but We live the Coast yeah. Mountain experience is what they would say. But Arcteryx is not into canoe tripping at all. They <laughs> always ghosted me on canoe trips. So I needed like pants and, and you know, a, a top, you know, just kind of the quick dry, you know, tripping stuff. And, and Armstrong and Fjallraven have hooked me up for well good for them because you know you know arcteryx yeah. doesn't make you know leather tassel <laughs> jackets and and uh, chainsaw pants <laughs> now these are quick dry i want the quick dry sure they are quick dry pants you know uh loose-ish kind of long shirt toque that sort of thing so they're pockets there'll be still be some arcteryx gear in the mix of course too we'll see so in my shell and and pants you know the rain so, the rain gear is still anyway, it's a hybrid now. so you're headed out yeah. saturday and you're going on an unsupported uh, canoe journey in out of the yukon out of whitehorse yeah kind of out of uh, another co-op connection uh chris sturgeon and rebecca world who live up in uh whitehorse they've been accepting gear that i've been shipping up there over the last couple months my canoe's up there uh iskeef canoe some gray all paddles Got some happy yak freeze dried food waiting for me up there, and then um, depending, there's a it's kind of a key thing. There's a road called the Canal Road, which goes up to the Yukon Northwest Territories border, and it kind of dead ends there. And that's where this river I want to take, called the Sichu, uh, the Tishu, I guess they call it, that goes flows into the river called the Keel, and onward down into the Mackenzie, and we're going to go all the way across Great Bear Lake into the Copper Mine, eventually to Kagluktuk. So like about thirteen hundred kilometer trip, but. If the road doesn't open there because it's been, I think, washed out in a couple spots, then we probably have to back it up with a, a float plane access kind of thing to the same spot. So we'll see. But hopefully, Chris and Rebecca will be on. They have a truck waiting for us to drive us up there. It's like a sixteen-hour shuttle. Wow! So it's like quick. one way or both. One ways? way. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> and it's like you know <laughs> on a rough road. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So some creek crossings, all that sort of well, stuff. Well, if you have a bit yeah. of extra time, do look up my good good friend Darcy because he's awesome. And he's there, and uh, it was awesome. So at my my birthday party, which was a surprise, I mm-hmm. walk in, and Darcy's there. Oh wow! He flew in, and and that was one of my favorite parts. Is uh, you know nice. there's the usual suspects, a lot of friends, mm-hmm. uh, close friends, family, um, but Darcy's there, and he's a family man, and he's working all the time. And I don't get to see him often. And the last time he was in town, he was in BC. We were going to hang for a day, and then his child got COVID, mm. so he isolated, and I missed him. And so uh, it was awesome. So look up. So he lives in Whitehorse. Yeah, good yeah. drummer, 
good cello player and just a nice what, dude. What does he do? What's kind of work there? Works for the city. Yeah. Uh, so works for the government. And um, Rebecca works for the government. It's a government other. town. Yeah. You know, so I think town. like probably yeah. half or more work for, you know, the, the, the territory or the city. Or the or, feds. Or the yeah. feds. Um, but that's fine. And uh, it allows for a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Variety. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I think there's a few people up there. They, someone else named James Wigmore, who I knew back in the day, he lives up there too, and he was wondering if we'd have a night to go out. And I said, yeah, we should probably get some people together and see where it goes. Right? Just as explore. you do. <laughs> as you do. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. The eagle. Yeah, exactly. The eagle. Watch out what you find. The eagle snatch, as we talked about it in the last Watch podcast. Check that out. episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, amazing. I mean, I'm, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that you, you've always been known for your canoe trips. Um, it's kind of the iconic trip you've been known for, you've written about, um, you've, you've recorded films about. And so, you know, during our conversations, we kind of explore the diversity, the ski trips, the kayak trips, hiking, paddling, um, cycling. Etc. Yep, yep, uh, but really, but, I guess you're, you're kind of like the canoe guy to a lot of other listeners. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of your kind, it's kind of the best tool readers. for job, especially I think in Canada. Once you get kind of iconic, yeah, east of the Rockies, all the way across to the East Coast, and all the way up to the North Arctic Islands in the summertime, the best way to travel is canoe in terms of the versatility. And you float into yeah. Vancouver, and and really, you know, it's not as useful. And you see people paddling and canoeing more the sheltered areas in, in vancouver but it's not the favored modus but actually my my old neighbor and like a pretty hardy adventurer kevin um he goes on missions canoe missions off the coast which mm-hmm. i find very bold you know sort of like you know squamish to lions bay or like out to the gulf islands with with a t- like you know an athletic you know companion is his and he just goes for it in like a clipper and i'm like ooh, geez, yeah. man wind turns yeah i mean people used to like canoe, canoe travel on the coast used to be the way to get around back here until i guess in the 70s sea kayaks like you know closed closed deck sea kayaks and with a safer and, and easier sort of thing. And yeah a little bit know, more nimble yeah a little little safer easier you know the skag or a rudder and uh you know waves can just wash over you uh, you can roll them um all everything's all sealed up in like bulkhead hatches so yeah, it, the efficiency of the kayak is definitely more so than the canoe. But the canoe is definitely you can load a lot in there. A lot of a lot of families I know still use them. Like for the Broken Islands, canoes are really popular still because once you get in there, you quickly deploy your your camp and as much stuff as you want. And uh, so it, it kind of has its uh, use in the ocean too, depending on what you're. Yeah, the doing. yeah yeah the economy of packing in a kayak is is pretty limited. Yeah, um, small in terms bags, of luxury yeah. and, and size, <laughs> so you, you can't necessarily fit. Uh, the full meal deal all the time. You just yeah. have to be clever. And it's a lot of little bags. See yeah. people with stuff strapped to their deck, and you just shake your head. Yeah, like, I, oh. I try to keep a clean deck for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dave Beresford just came back from a trip there. I've seen his Instagram. Yeah, he was up in Haida Gwaii, right? Yeah, he had some issues. I think he, he was hoping to go around, circumnavigate the whole thing, like myself and McPhee and Keith Clapstein did back in 2005. But then him and his friend... He said they got a really bad flu, which I kind of interpreted possibly to be a COVID. His friend brought it from the UK, Ooh. and then they both got infected. And they were like, 
had 103 fever for three or four days on the outer coast of Haida Gwaii and said, okay, let's, let's go back to town and recover. Okay, that, <laughs> I, I finally got yeah. the COVID about, yeah. okay, right the weekend of my birthday. Oh, you did? On Sunday. Oh, I, I think I, I heard that. I tested yeah. positive. And Just after. A lot of people have yeah. been blowing it off, um, but yeah, a day or two of like, you know, pain. And so like, it yeah. sounds familiar. And everyone, like, everyone reacts differently too. Sweat and yeah. sweats, you yeah. know, just, you know. Yeah, and, if you're, if, and if you're out in like the big swell and there's a big storm no. lashing against the outer yeah. coast, it's like, okay, just go let's, crawl up into a ball. <laughs> let's just go back to the hotel go and fetal, get again. Sweat it out, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> drink your water and eat your vitamins. Is what I yeah. did. And, you know, and uh, yeah. luckily it was, it was about a day and a half of, of pain. I took a day off work and it just wasn't happening. I was, you know, napping. Like I would, on the Monday, I, I worked or I tried to work and I went for a nap at lunch and I woke up like an hour later. Yeah. <laughs> but it too shall pass. Yeah, I, I, it's incredible how many people. I, I don't think I know many people who haven't had it at this point. No, so. you got to have it, right? It's the yeah. end thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they say most people are going to get it, which was the conclusion after a year and a half of taking it easy. Yeah, we can't stop them. Um, we can't stop but, this thing. you know, yeah. Canada has done relatively well, and I think that people are fairly well equipped, and it sounds like the, the medical system, at least in BC, thinks waned to the point that obviously we're – we have our freedom again, thanks to the, the trucker convoy. Yeah. If it wasn't for them, I don't know. Freedom riders. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, coincidentally, I think the one of the organizers is in jail now for breach of bail, I read, I think, two nights ago. So uh, you get what you pay for. Yeah, it's interesting how, um, how now the Canadian flag, I see a car with, with a, a Canadian flag on it now, and it's like, oh, freedom rider. It's almost like created a stigma around it almost like the stars and bars even though it's just a canadian flag the way well, they kind of took the canadian flag and when made, it's like made, february made it, and you made have it somebody seem like, yeah, like running a, the flag yeah. yeah i saw like a like weird <laughs> vintage boat of a car growling along running the flag like two or three months ago and i was like what's the deal uh the bumper sticker i can't recall but it did kind of portray a nice story i forget what i, I wish i it probably just said fuck trudeau is what they usually well say. that's the albertan <laughs> way so yeah, yeah on that trip when i saw mcfee mcfee i remember i didn't realize how much animosity there was and there was like i'm gonna say like six you know people maybe um of you know ragged means in front of like the city hall in calgary with yeah. like these banners that just said f trudeau yeah the last six freedom and, riders. you know it's, yeah. and people are beeping and cheering them on and i'm just no this was this was a year or two ago oh wow this was this is sentiment, the start of the this is sentiment in, in alberta that's fairly common um, I think ever since Pierre Trudeau flipped them off, you know, uh, back in the day. This is his spawn, like, yeah. yeah. Spawn of, a spawn, just a bit of a simpler, less well-spoken spawn, but still the spawn of Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. but I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. And, you know, for me, it was just a bit of a lark. Like I, you know, Trudeau's done okay as prime minister. I think that he probably has done better than many yeah. have and will, but he's imperfect and he's gone back on, on some pledges that I would have liked to see through and, and he bought the pipeline. Like I'm like he got a, you know I don't know how that's supposed to save us. Let's but, just but put I, four billion dollars yeah. into oil. It's also interesting that everyone just thinks it's Trudeau acting by himself. He's just a guy with a whole bunch of advisor. He's the leader of the Liberal Party. You can't blame it on one guy. He he is literally just being advised just all the part way of the machine by everyone else. And basically, every decision he makes is based on 
polls and his team, and he is merely mouthing what they tell him to mouth. He's not doing anything on his own, but but he gets all the heat, and I guess that's what happens when he's a leader. Even though in a parliamentary system, you are just a member of parliament. You just happen to be the leader of the party that has the most seats in parliament, and suddenly it's not like he's the president, but he is he is uh, perceived as such. Well, how do you kill a snake? You cut off the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, anyway. and then uh, then uh, who's who's the deputy prime minister? She'll she'll come into power and she'll win as well. What's her name again? Uh, smart lady, can't recall it right now. But yeah. she's the uh, details. Krista Freeland. Oh, she good. will. She's she's the brains behind the operation. I think so. Hmm. Yeah, there he goes. Yeah. The, to cut the head off the snake, she's the new head. Politics yeah. corner. Yeah, with Frank and Adam. <laughs> so you heard it here. Exactly. Second. Yeah. Um, well, fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, again, this is a quick hit. I like to do these quick episodes just to hear about what you've been up to, especially when you're on these fantastic trips. Um, if our listeners want to hear or read more about them, uh, Instagram, it's at FWolf. At FrankWolf70. FrankWolf70. Yeah. Um, Frank's got a website, and then he also writes for Explore Magazine. And, and uh, uh, actually right now on the newsstands, Mountain Life. Mountain Life, of yeah. course, and, and a variety of other places. So seek it out because the articles really tell the full story, and the photo- photographs are fantastic. And specifically, if you go to Frank's Instagram, I'll try to steal that photo and post it on ours as well, the Sound Ideas Podcast Instagram, because the the imprint of the polar bears <laughs> the polar bear track, yeah. is it's pretty fantastic it's a big thing it's the size of adam's head as we know yeah yeah so i wish you well on your next trip i look forward to hearing about it and um until then we'll be alone again naturally Boom. But she was one of the speakers, and she was probably the worst speaker I've ever seen in my life.